0: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Cedar Grove Capital, your source for actionable insights, industry deep dives, and single name coverage in the consumer tech and cannabis industries. If you are new, you can join below. Uh, please hit the heart button if you like today's newsletter and reply with any feedback. Uh, so today we are going to be going over um, Sweetgreen titled uh, Serving Green but Bleeding Red. Um, so key points to kind of summarize what this whole uh, article is about. So. You know once a vc darling this quote-unquote tech company uh, or restaurant chain i should say is anything but that um, the company is not differentiated at all and some aspects of its business expose it to more risks than others higher inflation and lack of pricing power will continue to eat into the company's margins widening losses and no path to profitability should make investors wary where the company's priorities are and then also uh, compared to other restaurant brands out there um, which are profitable. Uh, valuation metrics show just how overvalued Green is. So <laughs> without kind of giving it away, I'm sure that, uh, you know, my summarization um, key points uh, allude to kind of where I'm going to be leading off of this. But uh, let's kind of dive into the business overview. So Sweet Sweetgreen um, develops and operates fast casual restaurants serving healthy foods prepared from seasonal and organic ingredients and serves customers via 140 stores across 13 states plus D.C., They sell their goods through two channels, in-store and digital. Menu items offered include signature salads, warm bowls, plates, and are complemented by a seasonal menu that changes five times a year. Um, So their restaurants have actually increased from 29 restaurants in 2014 uh, to 119 restaurants at the end of 2020, which is representative of a 27% Kager Um, As of September 26, 2021, which is the last filing date that they had on their IPO, Uh, they've grown to 140 restaurants. Uh, An important metric that kind of deals with with restaurants um, and others are average unit volume, so basically how much money in sales does each store generate. Um, So from 2014 and 2019, uh, they had actually increased AUVs from 1.6 million to 3 million, which is a 12% CAGR. Uh, In 2020, which is obviously the pandemic, um, the AUVs dropped down to 2.2 um, and then 2021 uh, AUVs year to date um, which is the first three quarters uh, are 2.5 million um, and this is actually comparative to uh, 2.3 million as of the same time in 2020. So if we kind of dive in a little bit deeper to the financials of the company <laughs> which will be a very interesting topic to th- talk about later on um, there are actually two uh, views that you look at restaurants. One is um, you know, like the the overall sales and the cost of the company. So this is like broad level, how much is the whole company making, uh, and then what are the costs associated with it that fall flows down the, through the P and L. But then the second one is actually on a restaurant level. So like, how actually uh, profitable and how many how much sales are driven from each individual store uh, on the, on the store level? Exactly how it sounds. Um, the reasoning behind this is that like you know you can you can make a store incredibly profitable, but then, you know, if your company at the high level is kind of mismanaged, whether through, I don't know, the obsessive like marketing costs or um, other sg and et cetera, uh, it really paints a picture to see how well your management is actually executing and compared to your stores. So net revenues um, have grown from 42 million in 2014 to 2019 million, or 2019 million, I'm sorry, 274 million in 2019. This is about a 46% kager. Again, twenty twenty pandemic, so revenue dropped to two hundred twenty one. But with the rebound in twenty twenty one, there is two hundred forty three million in sales, which is compared to one hundred sixty one million in the same time frame a year prior. Uh, (laughs) They're not making money Um, in twenty nineteen alone. They lost seventy nine million or seventy million dollars in net income Uh, in twenty twenty. Given the circumstances were, they lost one hundred forty two million dollars. And in 2021, uh, up until September 26, they lost 87 million dollars. Uh, so not a pay, not a pretty picture. But I'll dive into that a little bit more when we go um, uh, deeper into the thesis. Uh, on a restaurant level, um, from 2014 to 2019, uh, they were able to increase um, uh, profit from 8 million to 44 million, representing a uh, restaurant level profit margin of 16. percent This is in 2019. Um, uh, you know, looking at it from 2021, which is the most recent, uh, they had 28 million, um, which is about a 12% restaurant profit margin. Um, that's also compared to a loss of actually 6 million, uh, for their same time period in 2020, which is representing a negative 4% margin. So you can see the trend here, you know, 2020 was obviously a bust, but 2021, I was trying to make a comeback, but the company has some, has four key financial targets that they're trying to achieve in the long term. The first one is uh, year two cash on cash returns of 42% to 50%. And what cash on cash returns means is basically like what type of like return are you getting from the investment that you're actually outlining for um, your actual restaurant, right? So they're projecting in year two, they're, they're going to be making it back 42 um, to 50% of that. Uh, AUVs, they're trying to get it back up to where that was in pre-pandemic. So they're aiming for 2.8 million to 3 million in AUVs. They're trying to obtain restaurant level profit margin of 18 to 20%, right? So that's not company specific, that's restaurant specific. Uh, and then uh, lastly, um, you know, these restaurants cost money to build, right? They're, they're not a franchise type of operation. They, they own all their stores. So they're trying to get an average investment of approximately $1.2 million per new restaurant. So AKA what the cost is going to be uh, to open one. So those are kind of the business overview and the financial overview. Uh, but when you look at the recent stock performance, so for those of you that don't know, Sweetgreen was actually a private company for, at this point, most of its life, almost 97, 8% of its life. Um, and they went public in November of last year, uh, 2021. So if you remember what happened back then, uh, Omicron came around and completely destroyed, I'm sure, all of our portfolios. But um, they actually... Uh, priced their um IPO at twenty eight dollars a share. And on the very first day it popped uh, or opened up at 85%. Um you know like well above the twenty eight dollars per share. I think across fifty bucks. I think it was almost like fifty six dollars. Yeah, that's when it is what it rose to um so basically a hundred percent pop on its IPO day. Um which it's funny because uh the IPO actually valued sweet green at three billion dollars. Um, but then, like once you had the the pop, it, it actually it actually valued it an over five billion dollars, uh, which is pretty ridiculous. Um, but they were effectively raised three hundred sixty four million dollars from the IPO, so it was pretty successful. Um, since then, the news of Omicron and with the Fed deciding to begin tapering, the stock sold off from its highs and has been trading in a band of about twenty five to thirty dollar price range. Um, so kind of. Since they went public, we're looking at a decrease of about 40-ish percent, probably like 38, 39 at this point. But we try to get to the overall thesis. So <laughs> put two and two together here, uh, I have decided to write this article on a short basis. So um, trying to like not just seeing the company go down because that's exactly what is just overvalued. I'm, I'm guessing it's going to go down. But believe it or not. I actually like sweet green salads. I think they're t- they taste great and they have a lot of different kinds of ingredients that allow them to create awesome bowls. However, I only have sweet green on a regular basis because when I used to work for Merrill Lynch, um, they paid for my dinners back then when I was an investment banker. Um, and so it was essentially free. Uh, if I wasn't doing that, there's no chance I'd be spending over $15 a day on salads. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, but before I dive into the why, uh, I have decided to short them. Let me briefly go into what the company is doing well, since they aren't actually a bad company. So what they're doing right, sales, stores, and AUV growth. So like I showed you before, uh, revenues for the company, which coincide with the number of restaurants added, continue to grow over the years, jumping from $42 million in sales with 29 restaurants in 2014 to $243 million in sales and 140 restaurants uh, year-to-date in 2021. This is great, and considering that 2020 was an obvious off-year, AUVs have steadily increased to 3 million in 2019, with year-to-date 2021 posting AUVs of about 2.5 million. Additionally, the company plans to double the number of restaurants that it owns over the next three to five years, bringing the total figure to just shy of 300 total units. They have been implementing a few new strategies. Uh, One of them is actually the expansion of their digital offerings. Um, so, it's actually important to note that more than two thirds of Sweet Green's revenue comes from digital sales. So, while you could order Sweet Green online for some time, the company has recently expanded its store's optimization to accommodate for increased digital orders. This means that there are lines for in store ordering and for digital pickup. This allows them to handle more order volume without adding more cost or square footage. Additionally, it enables them to quickly take advantage of the rising demand for off premises dining. So, those are just trying to order, grab, and go, and just literally just eat anywhere else. Uh, They also have been doing uh, new restaurant formats. Um, When COVID erupted and prompted everyone to not only be able to eat indoors, uh, pick up or delivery were the only options. Some restaurants quickly retrofitted their existing stores to incorporate, you know, drive-through options, the park and pick up, where you actually like literally park your car and you just wait for the person to come walk and give you your food. Uh, to basically speed up the delivery times and encourage consumers to get back out there and order their food with limited risk. As Sweetgreen expands from its coastal and urban environments, more locations will be, will be adding drive-through and pick-up only options. What's also great about them, which I'm, I was really surprised about, um, they have no debt. <laughs> so uh, given that they were a VC darling before prior to going public, they kept raising through traditional private markets and have expanded without dipping their toes into taking on leverage. Prior to going public, they had $137 million in cash on the balance sheet and raised an additional $364 million from the IPO. So they have no risk to Fed raise, uh, raising rates, at least not directly when it comes to you know, debt on the balance sheet. Um, and they also have a large war chest to help them expand during their growth phase. But even with these few points um, that I highlighted about what they're doing well, uh, let's kind of dive into why I'm, I'm shorting the stock. Um, the company is doing great, but at the end of the day, they sell expensive salads. The reasons I'll address as to why I decided to short them will be in relation to the the story that they've essentially told investors, a limited total addressable market, lack of any differentiation or remote, increasing ingredient and labor costs, uh, local sourcing, the whole work from home uh, trend that's been going on, and profitability. So we kind of dive into the first point. Uh, about like the story that they sold. Um, they try to play off as being a quote unquote tech company. Um, it's IPO prospectus filing reads part health food brand, part technology startup. If you do a search for literally just tech, the word technology and three greens S1, you get 89 references to that word. Spoiler, many of them have to deal with, or many of the deal with like how like they can leverage technology to drive growth. Again, they sell salads. Uh, when I kept seeing this, I kept getting flashbacks to Adam Newman pitching WeWork as like not like a real estate company, but a technology company. Um, like, dude, Adam, you were renting desks and Sweetgreen is just selling salads. <laughs> no, no one is reinventing the wheel here. However, in the hot lane of Silicon Valley, this did not deter VCs from valuing the startup at $1.78 billion before going public. So aside from it actually being a, t- from not actually being a tech company, and just utilizing digital ordering, there's one specific example as to why many might believe uh, in this particular narrative. So the one that I'm, that I'm going to highlight is actually their acquisition of a company called Spice. Um, Spice was founded in 2015. Uh, it's a Boston-based startup that started making waves a few years back as a spin-out of the uh, MIT mechanical engineering students. Um, first serving of food at the school's dining hall, the team ultimately opened up a pair of automated restaurants in the Boston area. Um, for those of you listening in, I've included a video below uh, to kind of show you exactly how this Spice technology works. Um, like in a nutshell, Spice utilizes technology with restaurants to fulfill customer orders on a made-to-order basis, while ultimately being able to cut out most labor costs. Essentially, because the you know the robots are actually making your food, you know, perfectly every time, without you needing to kind of pay uh, workers to do it. Well, this most likely will be the future of certain types of restaurants, in reality, that is a very distant future, and investors should not be applying a premium uh, on the company now because of it. Um, it's it's basically a m- moonshot idea, so there's um, no reason to actually like a- apply that higher higher uh, multiple. Point number two is um, the limited total addressable market, and you know when I look at these these companies going public, um, especially consumer ones, it's it's. Hilarious to kind of read just how big they label their tam. It's it's really laughable. Um, Squeak Greens is particularly laughable because they start at the very t- tippy top of the total food market, which is valued at one point eight trillion dollars, and then they actually don't even address the actual size of the healthy food market. But they just highlight how it's how the healthy food market has just grown at a nine percent kager from twenty ten to twenty nineteen. So, LOL. Despite them not even knowing how big their market is, I would give them the benefit of the doubt that the market for healthy eating is in fact growing. However, this is negated just from the pure reason of how expensive their salads are and who can afford them. There's really two points to this. So one is where they operate the stores and the other is pricing. Um, I've included a map below um, for those of you listening in. If, you're, if you look at the map, um, many of the current restaurants are actually on like, the coastal areas of the U.S., like West Coast, East Coast, Southern um, regions like Florida, Texas, et cetera, um, or they're in uh, urban cities. So not many suburban restaurants currently exist. But if the company plans to double its footprint in the next three to five years, the biggest question that needs to be asked is, can they resonate with suburban areas? Like, will suburban consumers want to go out of their way to order a salad from Street Green? This question is a lot easier to answer in urban areas for various reasons. But then the second point is, are they willing to pay a premium uh, for these salads? My guess is probably not. And to add more color to on this as well, if the company wants to attract this type of consumer, then prices will need to drop significantly compared to urban areas, which... Uh, in, in turn, is going to be driving down overall AUVs, which is not the best for a restaurant. Um, point number three, so very hot um, topic of discussion, is the increased costs associated with doing business with inflation and then also the lack of pricing power. Um, okay, so this so this is going to be the first time I actually reference Chipotle uh, in comparison to Sweetgreen. The reason I bring them up is that they are the closest... Like pure play company to sweet sweetgreen that we can relate to so this being said what does increased cost and pricing power have to do with chipotle well it was all in the earnings call uh, which was the other day uh, early this week actually firstly we all know that it's getting harder to hire people for these types of jobs and also the cost of goods are going up chipotle was able to offset this with price increases chipotle hiked menu prices by four percent in december citing commodity inflation, elevating um, beef and freight costs, and to a lesser extent, avocado. Um, The Chipotle uh, CEO, Brian Nichols, said the restaurant prices were around 10 percent higher than a year ago, adding that further increases could come if elevated costs don't abate. And he also quoted saying we've got a lot of pricing power. So this is great for Chipotle because it highlights two things um, that actually directly relate to sweet cream one of them is that costs are going up for everyone there's really no one that's safe from this at all uh so it's it's, it's it's bound to happen point number two uh price increases need to happen in order to retain margin so the first is easy because that's expected to happen um but where i think sweet cream will fall short is their ability to raise prices it's easy for chipotle to raise prices because naturally rice and beans are just cheaper their bowl in nyc you know where i currently live um was going for like 9.50, about 9.50. Like uh, with, with no additions, um, and is now about $10.50. The number of people that can still buy that uh, on the regular is, is quite a lot of people, right? It's not it's not breaking the bank. Uh, however, Sweetgreen's average salad cost in New York City is $15. And if you're ordering for delivery, that only goes higher. It's hard enough for people to rationalize spending $15 for a salad already. Do you think they want to spend more? My assumption is no. Without being able to raise prices that much and not deter customers, costs will eat into margins and put more pressure on its bottom line. Point number four, lack of differentiation or moat. So newsflash, uh, salads aren't anything new and arguably artisanal uh, salads aren't new either. The market is filled with incumbents who offer fresh and healthy meals and other uh, health conscious new entrants that add more optionality to consumers to choose from. I could list all the healthy food chains out there uh, that number in the thousands of stores at this point, but I'll spare you from the incredibly long list. With just 140 store locations, Sweetgreen is a minor player in a very fragmented, large, and competitive market. When it comes to leveraging technology, yeah, that's not anything new at this point. It's practically table stakes. But when you're when you're doing anything in the food industry, and when I mean by um, technology, I mean like literally like the digital ordering of food. Um, So nothing uh, with nothing different about what kind of food, sweet green sells or how people can order. It's just another fast casual restaurant pumping high price salads. Point number five is the uh, local sourcing of their of their ingredients. It only sounds good. Being able to brag about how your ingredients come from local uh, sources only sounds good in, you know, print. Uh, In actuality, it's quite expensive and puts the company more at risk than need to be. Uh, so, David Trainer from Value Investing 2.0 uh, said it's the best, he said it in his best comment, um, which I added below for you uh, um, listening in. I'll mention it here. Uh, so, he says, Unlike McDonald's and other more established restaurants, which enjoy economies of scale from a vertically integrated supply chain, Sweetgreen focuses on sourcing its food locally. To do this, Sweetgreen typically relies on a single regional third party distributor for fresh products and other regional distributors for dry goods. By not utilizing national distributors, Sweetgreen adds complexity to its supply chain, which makes it more difficult uh, and potentially more costly to manage. For instance, Sweetgreen has more domestic food partners, so over 200, um, than they do restaurants, which are at 140. Chipotle, which offers its own variation of salad, relies on more traditional, large-scale food suppliers, which helps the company better manage costs. In 2020, Chipotle locally sourced only 11% of its produce from 54 local farmers to serve its about 2,900 stores. This relative inefficiency leads to higher operating costs. Sweetgreen's restaurant operating costs increased from 84% of revenue in 2019 to 88% of revenue in the nine months ended September 26, 2021. Chipotle's restaurant operating costs, on the other hand, were just 77% of its food and beverage Revenue in the nine months ending September 30th, 2021. Will being locally sourced help the company in the super long term? Perhaps, but it will take Sweetgreen some time to get there before that realization can be recognized. To make matters worse, when you have that many partners sourcing your food, it adds uh, risks. So, pulling further comments from David on the matter, uh, he says, Relying on numerous third party sources makes guaranteeing that quality control standards are maintained throughout the supply chain more complex. A lack of control over its supply chain exposes Sweetgreen to even more risk than other types of restaurants, as it serves large amounts of uncooked food, which is more susceptible to foodborne diseases. In 2019, when Sweetgreen received reports from a New York City customer uh, about Ill- illnesses caused from spoiled blue cheese from a local supplier, the company had difficulty tracing which restaurants received the spoiled product. As the company grows its store footprint, its ever-increasingly complex supply chain could expose its customers to riskier food. So we'll see if they can actually scale this as their stores continue to grow, but their model for not operating under similar practices of large-scale restaurant change is uh, uneasy. Point number six, working from home is a problem. Sweetgreen's business has largely been fueled by office workers, many of whom will now be able to work from home permanently, uh, me being one of them. Before the pandemic, Sweetgreen uh, had more than 1,000 outposts. And for those that you don't know, they label outposts as like drop-off points for offices, residential buildings, and hospitals um, that can deliver the meals to the consumers on a regular schedule. Sweetgreen notes in its S1 that um, outpost customers have been the most habitual users with the average outpost customer ordering approximately six times per quarter. So six times every three months. Uh, Nearly all of its outposts were closed in 2020 as offices closed during the pandemic. While the number of outposts rose to 35% of pre-pandemic levels in um, Q3 of 2021, it's hard to think that fates of in-person work and sweet green aren't intertwined, even as the popularity of delivery apps and ghost kitchens grows. Decreased output sales means lower sales per store for Sweetgreen. Um, so, point number seven is uh, profitability. Um, you didn't notice from the financials that I kind of posted towards the top. I um, mean, briefly spoke about, um, or even just mentioned throughout this article. Uh, let me ask you: when you, when, how much money you think Sweetgreen makes from you know its high <laughs> high price salads? Um, The answer is none. Technically, it's less than none. It's actually negative. Uh, I mean, it's S1 filing. The chain reports that despite serving more than 1.3 million customers in the 90 days prior to its filings and raking in revenues of more than $300 million in the last 12 months, Sweetgreen is not a profitable business, and it's unclear when it will be. Um, The company blames the pandemic for lower revenues in 2020, but the company is also burning tons of cash as it pursues both growth via new restaurants and making acquisitions like Spice. Uh, what's funny is that when you compare Sweet Cream's IPO to you know, Chipotle's IPO, which was in 2006, Chipotle was actually profitable. Um, so even though they went public in 2006, they've been, they were profitable since 2004. When I mean profitable, I don't mean like on an adjusted EBITDA basis. I mean like literally net income bottom line. They were profitable. Uh, another restaurant um, company that recently went public as well, which is called Portillo's, um, if you live in an area that has a Portillo's, I don't. Um, despite their stock getting absolutely murdered um, since they went out public, um, they've been profitable uh, as well, and even during 2020, they were profitable, uh, which goes to show like just how well um, management is, you know, strategically growing the company. But to kind of give you a better picture of you know, like how sweet green compares. Um, there's a few metrics that I'm, I'm going to want to highlight uh, with its peers to kind of represent exactly like what's going on here. Um, so when it comes to valuation, it's just, it's too rich. It's too high. Um, when, we com- when we compare Sweetgreen to others, it doesn't look pretty. And that's the really the foundation to why I like looked into shorting it in the first place. Um, I decided to compare Sweetgreen to four other companies. So I've already spoken about one of them, Chipotle. Um, briefly another one just now, which is Portillo's, uh, Shake Shack, and then Domino's. So all these companies have A, like a digital component for ordering. B, aside from Domino's, uh, the others are company-owned and not franchised. Uh, and C, they operate in different parts of the country, if not all around the country. Um, the reason behind this is I wanted to find restaurants that could really be uh on par with Sweet Green, right? So like all the franchisable restaurants really didn't make any sense. The only reason why I chose Domino's is because Domino's has actually been growing quickly. So I just kind of wanted to see how investors were putting um a premium, if any, on Domino's because of that. Um and they basically like rewrote the book for digital ordering for restaurants, um, which I think basically everybody else followed suit. Uh don't quote me on that. But uh there's a lot to unpack from the chart that I'm actually showing in the in the um in the article, Uh, but the main points that I want to drive home are that while the company is growing top line faster than its peers, it misses on a few key metrics and trades well above its peers. So to take a look at like Shake Shack, for example, it has an enterprise value of about $3.1 billion, has more than double the last 12 months sales of Sweetgreen. So they actually have uh, about $700 million in sales compared to Sweetgreen's $303 million. Um, They are profitable on an EBITDA basis. Um, They have better gross margins. So uh, Shake Shack has um, gross margins of 33.2%, while Sweet Green has 9%, like literally single digits. Um, And yet Shake Shack trades at a 4.5 times forward enterprises sales multiple compared to 12.2 times for Sweet Green's. I'll leave you to take a look at the chart to compare against the others, but let's value the company based on comparable metrics. So since Sweetgreen doesn't have any positive free cash flow, we can only value it on a sales multiple. Using these four comparables and estimating uh, for fiscal year 2022 um, sales estimates of 511 million, we can get a share price of about $22.70 using a median multiple or $21.61 via the average multiple, representing a 26% and 29% downside from yesterday's closing price. While I have covered other companies in the past using a sales um, multiple like as the metric, it's tough to back that up into now quickly anticipated rising rate environment. I can't even project adjusted EBITDA because there's no clear pathway to becoming profitable at the rate that they are spending. I mean, their last 12 months CapEx was $73 million. Even using this multiple uh, is giving them the benefit of the doubt that they are even on par with the other companies, despite lower gross margin, no earnings, negative free cash flow, and a track record that shows that their bottom line is only getting worse. So my closing thoughts, uh, you know, while I like the company, I hate the stock. And that's not the first time I've said that. I felt the same way when I was um, shorting the Honest company, Jessica Alba's company. Um, highly highly recommend you read that considering you know there's a broader trend here Um, but at the end of the day the company sells expensive salads and is still losing money the only real highlights for the company are all based on the top line growth so sales restaurants like the number of restaurants um, and then presumably average unit volumes and failed to comment on how they're addressing the widening losses that they're experiencing As if they expect to have endless access to capital, like they're still private again and VCs are just going to be throwing money at them. So with negative operating cash flow, but a large cash balance, I think it will be some time before they will need to raise money. But given the share price fall, I would expect insiders to share their stock once the lockup period expires. Either way, other restaurants that are doing much better than them are trading for a lot less, and that's for good reason. One thing to note that will move uh, the stock in either direction is when they release earnings for the very first time since going public on March 3rd. So about, was that like three weeks away, three and a half weeks away? Um, But uh, that's actually the article for today. Full disclosure, um, I currently do have a uh, position in Sweetgreen, a short position in Sweetgreen. I wrote this article myself and expresses my own opinions. I am not receiving compensation for it. I have no business relationship with any company whose stock is mentioned in this article. Uh, This article is not meant to be taken as investment advice, and you should do your own due diligence prior to taking any action. Uh, So with that being said, guys, uh, until next time, this is Cedar Grove Capital signing off. appreciate it.